Good morning. It's good to be with you. It's even better that I got to bring my beautiful wife with me this time. She, she often doesn't get to. We've had her dad living with us, and uh, she would make sure he got to church, but somebody else took him today, and um, so it's a privilege. I look forward to being back again next Sunday. As we used to say, Lord willing, the creek don't rise. So Pastor Mark's on vacation. That's good for him. So, after I was here last time, um, I went down to Frankfort, Indiana, and uh, Connie, Connie's brother and I did a camp meeting together, and uh, we just had a, a great time together, and uh, so that was a lot of fun. If you have your Bibles, go to Matthew chapter 18, Matthew chapter 18. When, yeah, we'll just start there. We're going to start in verse 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how many times shall my brother sin against me and I still forgive him? Up to seven times. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 77 times. I'm going to pause here because I'm not using a microphone. I'm wondering if that's going to mess with the video. Is that better? It's purple if that helps. Yeah. There it is. All right. Can you hear me now? Verse 23. By the way, seven times, and Jesus said seven times, but up to 77 times, or it can also be translated 70 times seven. So it's either 77 or 490. You pick how forgiving you want to be. Verse 23. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his slaves. And when he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 pounds was brought to him. So now I want to do some math with you this morning because I figured out that a talent was worth 20 years wages. That's what one mathematician figuring this all out, figured it average about... 20 years worth of a man's wages, all right? And he owed 10,000 talents. This mathematician figured out, I don't know what the base wage was, but that he owed the master $6.8 billion. Now that's a ridiculous number. This is hyperbole, if you're into the language of English. It's an exaggeration to make a point. Jesus is telling a story that this master has lent this servant $6.8 billion. We, they figured out that if he paid principal only, no interest, 
it would take him 200,000 years. Did you hear that number? 200,000 years to pay back the debt. That's a lot of debt. All right. Have we got that math down? Oh, where did I leave off? Uh, verse 25. But since he did not have the means to repay, do you think? His master commanded that he be sold along with his wife and his children and all that he had and repayment be made. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him saying, have patience with me and I will repay you everything. Just pause. That's at the end of verse 26. Is there any possible way he could ever repay everything he owed? So this story is about somebody who owes a debt that never could be paid. I just want to clarify, that's us. That's our debt to God. Verse 27, And the master of that slave felt compassion, and, and he released him and forgave him the debt. But the slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. Now, I want, a couple, I want to make a couple points here. First, this person didn't come to him. The one who owed the denarius did not come to the one who'd been forgiven. He hunted him down. He went after him aggressively. He says, and he, his fellow slave who owed him a hundred denarii, oh, I don't know what to tell you, so a hundred denarii values in modern numbers at about between thirteen and fourteen thousand dollars. Between thirteen and fourteen thousand dollars. So six point eight billion versus that he no longer has to pay. He's been forgiven versus the one who owes him around thirteen to fourteen thousand dollars. And he seized, uh, but the slave went out and found one and he, that owed him a hundred denarii, and he seized him and he began to choke him, saying, pay back what you owe. So this fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, have patience with me and I will repay you. But he was unwilling and went and threw him into prison until he would pay back what was owed. And when this fellow slave saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to the master all that had happened. And then summoning him, the master said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I have had mercy on you? And the master moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he would repay all that was owed him. Now, I'd like to stop the story right there. I would love to stop right there and say, here's a lesson. You've been forgiven a lot. You need to forgive. But that's not how this story ends. Verse 35 says, 
my heavenly Father will do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. Wow. Let's pray. Lord, I pray you will speak into our hearts this morning and use this time to challenge us to forgive. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. When I tell you I'm going to talk about forgiveness, for many of you in this room right now, there's a name in your mind. There's a name of somebody. It, it, could, it could be multiple people. It may be nobody. But somebody that has wronged you. In fact, sometimes the test here is not just that they wronged you, but you're thinking, no, they ought to be coming to me asking forgiveness for what they did. I shouldn't be just forgiving. I should not just be forgiving them. They should ask. They did me wrong. Do you know that in the Bible, every time Jesus talks about prayer, he ties it to the issue of forgiveness. Matthew 6 tells us that your prayers aren't even going to be heard if you don't forgive. You have no right to come to the Father if we have unforgiveness in our heart. I came across a story some time ago. Many of you remember the story back in the 1970s. It was a Billy Graham Association made a film about the life of Corey Tenboom. It was called The Hiding Place. I've, I've been told they just remade that film and it's just recently re-released a brand new version of The Hiding Place uh, that I, I haven't had a chance to I haven't seen it, but I would love to. But this is, I want to read you an excerpt from this book. Corey Tenboom, her family, her father, her sister, they were Christian people living in Amsterdam in Holland and during the Holocaust, they were hiding Jewish refugees in their home. And they got caught by the Nazis, and they had been placed in a German prison camp. And it was the father had died, the sister died in that camp. This story takes place in 1947, just shortly after the end of the World War. And Corey Tenboom had been going back from the Netherlands, going into Germany, into post-war Germany, and preaching the salvation of Jesus Christ to the people who had oppressed them. This is a long quote, but I want you to hear it. Just be patient with me. It was in a church in Munich, Germany, that I saw him, a balding, heavyset man in a gray overcoat. He had a brown felt hat clutched between his hands. People were filing out of the basement room where I had just spoken, moving along the rows of wooden chairs to the door at the rear. <clears throat> it was 1947 and I had come from Holland to defeated Germany with the message that God forgives. It was the truth they needed most to hear in that bitter and bombed out land. And I gave them my favorite mental picture. Maybe 
Maybe because the sea is never far from a Hollander's mind. I like to think that that's where forgiven sins were thrown. When we confess our sins, I said, God's cast them into the deepest ocean, gone forever. The solemn faces stared back at me, not quite daring to believe. There were never questions after a talk in Germany in 1947. People stood up in silence, in silence collected their wraps, and in silence they left the room. And that's when I saw him. Working his way forward against the others, one moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat, the next, the next I saw it was a blue uniform and a visored cap with its skull and crossbones. It came back to me with a rush, the huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, the ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin. Betsy, Betsy, how thin you were. Betsy and I had been arrested for the concealing of Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland. This man had been a guard at Robinsburg, concentration camp where we were sent. Now he was in front of me, hand thrust out. A fine message, Fraulein. How good it is to know that as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand. He wouldn't remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among those thousands of women? But I, I remembered him. And the leather crop swinging from his belt. It was the first time since my release that I had been face to face with one of my captors, and my blood seemed to freeze. You, you mentioned Robinsbrook in, my, in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard in there. No, he didn't remember me. But since that time, he went on, I have become a Christian, and I, I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things that I did there. But I, I would like to hear it from your lips as well, Fraulein. And again, the hand came out. Will you forgive me? I stood there. I, whose sins had every day to be forgiven, and could not. Betsy had died in that place. And he, could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed like it was hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I ever had to do. For I, I had to do it, and I knew that the message that God forgives has a prior condition. And that condition is that we forgive those who have inquired of us, or who have injured us, I'm sorry. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And I knew, I knew it, not only as a commandment of God, but as a daily experience since the end of the war. I had had a home in Holland for victims of Nazi brutality. And those who were able to forgive their former enemies were able also to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives. No matter 
what the physical scars, but those who nursed their bitterness remained invalids. It was as simple and as horrible as that. And I still, I stood there in the coldness, clutching my heart. But I love this. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed. I can lift my hand. I can at least do that much. But you must supply the feeling. So, woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into my jo our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all of my heart. For a moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. Wow. I've heard it said in the counseling room. I've heard it said at the altars of prayer. But I can never forgive what they did to me. And I want to tell you that as long as you believe that, it will be true. Forgiveness is an act of the will, but it is also a divine gift. It is supernatural in its nature. And we need to understand God gave us the ability to forgive, but he forgave us. <clears throat> there is a clinical psychologist who's on the teaching staff at uh, UCLA, which maybe is not a good thing, I'm not sure. His name is Dr. Stephen Marmer. Dr. Marmer makes an explanation about levels of forgiveness that I think every believer needs to understand. Let me give you these this morning. Look at my, my watch band broke last night. So in case, yeah, I see that. In case you wonder, it's half past freckle quarter to a hair. <laughs> so Marmer says there are three levels. I guess these would rather be three levels of offense might be. But let me give them to you and talk about them. The first level he calls exoneration. There are some times when people offend us, but they didn't mean to. They didn't know what you're going through. They didn't know your pain. There are sometimes it's even somebody who lacks mental or emotional capacity. Sometimes it's a child. I, I, I remember when I was a kid, my grandmother was a brother. She was just portly. She was portly, and she had a round belly. I just remember that. Because I remember the day I asked my grandmother, Grandma, why are you fat? And the only reason I remember that, because 
My grandmother could have reached her hand up and slapped my mouth and told me to be quiet. But she didn't. She laughed and said, oh, that's my middle-aged spread. <laughs> I thought, no, you're old. But I didn't say that to her. <laughs> but I think, would it have been healthy for my grandmother to be bitter and hold a grudge at me? Or was it a kid? Who didn't know any better. I didn't know. I, I meant no malice toward it. I just was a curious kid. There are some times when we are offended and we have to give it that context. And we need to be willing to say, I'm not going to let that kill me. It was a genuine accident. And no one really can be assigned the fault. A child who genuinely didn't understand or that they had hurt the inflicted. So if the person who hurt you, let me give you these conditions. If the person who hurt you is genuinely sorry, will take full responsibility without excuse. Even if they were intentional in hurting you, but they've come to realize how vile it was when they are exposed to it. And they ask forgiveness, and they give you a reasonable confidence that they will never repeat the behavior. You need to genuinely forgive them. It's exoneration. It's to say it's in the past. It's as if it never happened. And honestly, to not forgive would speak more about you than it does about them. That's the first level. That's exoneration. That's let it go. The second one is a little different. I'm going to actually read my notes to you because I don't want to make sure I want to make sure I cover this correctly. This is a time when, when the offender has wounded you and they make what we would consider maybe a conditional or a partial apology. The, the offender might, uh, uh, I'm sorry, the offender mingles their, so their sorrow with the inference that you had somehow caused them to behave badly. And, and the, the apology doesn't really seem authentic. And my response needs to be, listen to this, ceasing to dwell on that particular offense. This, is, this second one is called forbearance. The first one's exoneration. The second is forbearance. This is where I, because you have a sense that they're not sincere, it's like when your mother said to you, you tell your brother you're sorry. And you said, sorry. seem to ring true over here. I'm just saying. <laughs> I don't know the wrong notes. Here we go. So we have to make some decisions. The first decision is that I am not, I'm going to cease dwelling on that circumstance. I'm going to quit replaying it in my head. I'm going to do away with grudges and fantasies of revenge. I'm going to retain, I am going to retain a degree of watchfulness. Now listen to this. 
There are people who would teach that if you do this, you're not forgiving. But that's emotionally unhealthy if you know full well there is no indication they have any repentance seriously for the behavior, they're going to repeat it. And you're going to set yourself up. And when Jesus tells us to forgive, it means that I cease with the sinful, the sinful attitude of revenge and this self-inflicting of a wound of reliving it. It's as though it was fresh. If it happened to you 20 years ago and I asked you about it, you can tell the story like it happened yesterday. I remember when I was in, <laughs> I was down in Alabama preaching at a church down there and a, and a gentleman, he was in his 80s back then and this has been close to 20 years ago. He wanted to take me on a tour of civil war sites. Now, if you've never been on a tour of Civil War sites with an 80-year-old Deep South Alabama resident, that's a whole different experience. I didn't know that because I was one of those silly people who grew up all the way up here in Michigan. And this man would get red in the face. And he'd say, them Yankees come down here and they burned us. They burned us out. You get down there and they refer to the Civil War as the recent difficulties. <laughs> That's how we like to relive the offenses in our lives. And I make a decision to stop doing that. I maintain some, some watchfulness. I forgive. Listen to this. I forgive. And this is a very fine line to walk. I forgive. But I don't forget. I often think of, and I've used this illustration in this church, I think, before. I think of scars. I've got some scars on my body where I've been hurt. I was with a guy last weekend, was it? Yeah, last weekend, who was showing us the scars where he had a forklift go through his leg. Oh! You know what's amazing? He can show me the scars. But he can laugh about it now all these years later and it doesn't hurt, but he remembers it clearly. There is a way that you can be so forgiving that you remember the offense and say, ah, it would not be wisdom to let that happen to me again. Does that make sense? So I behave that way. So forgive, but don't forget. Ronald Reagan called it trust but verify. Thus you can maintain ties with people who are far, far from perfect, but they're still important to you. And here's what I love about this. Forbearance after time can become exoneration. They may not have seemed sincere, but their behavior has proved they simply didn't know how to say it the way you needed to hear it. But they meant it. And they've lived it out. And at some point, and you may not have a decision point. It may have just melted away. It just may be that you have been around them. They go to church with you. They work with you, whatever it is. But you have come to the point of they are back in your circle and you trust them because they have kept the promise they made to you, even though you doubted it. So the first one is 
exoneration. The second is forbearance. But the third one is called release. What do you do when the person who hurt you doesn't even acknowledge that they've done anything wrong? Or their, their apology is absolutely insincere. They make, they make no effort of reparations whatsoever. These are things like the adult survivors of child abuse. Business people who've been cheated by partners. Infidelity in marriage. Friends or relatives who have betrayed one another. These require something else. It's called release. Release does not exonerate the offender. Release does not require forbearance. It does not require you to continue the relationship. In fact, it would be absolutely unhealthy to continue the relationship. It doesn't ask that instead of, uh, release does ask that instead of continuing to define your life in terms of the hurt, you release the bad feelings. You release the preoccupation and the bad, with the bad things that have happened to you. Release allows you to let go of the burdening of the silent tax that is weighing you down and preventing you from happiness. If you don't release the pain and anger and move past old hurts and betrayal, you will allow it to have rent in your mind reliving the incident. Release is the point, it's the hardest thing, it's, it was exactly what Corey Ten Boom was talking about. She remembered everything that had happened. But there was something God did in her. She made a decision and God let her forgive. To release says it is not logical and they are not sorry and they are destructive people and it is unhealthy for me to continue in relationship with them. And their behavior may well have been criminal. And justice ought to be served for the safety and protection of other people that may be also entrapped. For us to not remember would be devastating. But if we continue to consume ourselves with revenge and hatred, it will destroy us. Jesus in this parable says that if you don't forgive, you're going to be cast into a prison. Isn't that amazing? He says that we are, the unforgiving person is like that servant. You get cast into a prison and there's no getting out. Isn't this amazing? The one who ought to be in prison is the offender, but we put ourselves in a prison of unforgiveness and it won't let us go. 
until we're willing to let it go. So, now you say, how do I forgive? How do I do it? Let me give you some things. I've got about five or six of these, and I'll go through them really quickly if you want to take notes. Are you ready? I already gave you the first one. Forgiveness is always related to prayer. Matthew chapter 6, the Lord's Prayer. Jesus tells you that before you pray, you need to go make sure it's right with your brother. Isn't that amazing? Because prayer is our conversation with God. And when we harbor unforgiveness, we put up a barrier between us and God. We become ineffective and unfruitful in our walk with God when we are unforgiving. Number two, if you forgive your offender, God will forgive you. Isn't that amazing? I don't know how far that goes. I really don't. But the Bible tells us that if we are unwilling to forgive people, we are just like that servant who was forgiven a debt and yet couldn't forgive somebody that owed so much less. Number three, I think this is very simply the, the reverse of it. If you don't forgive others, your father will not forgive you. Now think about that. Father, I am desperate for your forgiveness for my bad attitude today. I'm desperately for the stuff that came out of my mouth that should not have. I need your forgiveness. And I often wonder, is Jesus saying, yeah? What about Joe next door that you're still in a battle with over whose fence that is and where it's at? What about the things you said about your boss because you hate him because he isn't treating you the way you thought he should? If you don't forgive, Jesus doesn't forgive you. Number four, we need to forgive, I like this, a lot. We need to forgive a lot. Can you imagine this? What, what did Jesus forgive you of? I, I, I can't, I would get lost in the thought. Because there's more than I can fathom. When I begin to look at the perfection and the beauty in the life of Jesus, and I look in the mirror, and I look into the history of my life and remember who I was and what I did, and the hatred and the bitterness and the unforgiveness, when I look back, I, I think, I remember when I gave my life to Christ. I remember when God put a call on me in the ministry. At some point in there, I had this conversation with my older brother. And my older brother said to me, you were the meanest guy I ever, he said, we didn't know if you would ever get your heart right with God. I was full of hatred. I was bullied. I, you say, the Bible says don't kill. The Bible says if you've hated, you've murdered. And I'm telling you, I didn't just hate some people that were bullying me. I wanted to figure out a way to kill them. I, I hated them. I hated myself. And I was forgiven by Jesus. 
we need to forgive a lot. Even more than we even expected. Number five, God calls people who won't forgive. Oh, I hate this. God calls people who won't forgive wicked. So before we say, yeah, but you don't understand. I, you know what? I hate, there's a word I hate. It's called yeah, but. Yeah, but. Yeah, but you don't know. Don't yab at me. But if you knew what happened to me, okay, there is no justification for what happened to you. There is no justification for abuse. There is no justification for infidelity. There is no justification for any of the criminal behaviors that have happened to innocent people. And I'm not judging anybody. I'm not making anybody less than perfectly innocent in the matter. You can be absolutely innocent and be victimized by somebody, but being victimized by somebody has to cease or you perpetuate the victimization by reliving it and not forgiving it. And you say, man, you're being hard on us today. I am telling you the most liberating truth in the world. What Corey Ken Boom did that day would seem impossible. If any of you have ever done much study into the history of the Holocaust and the, the, the horrific things that were done there, families torn apart, children thrown away like trash, burned bodies. They would literally make them drag the bodies and throw them into the furnaces. It was just unbelievable. Mass graves that they were exposed to look at, stand in front of it and be mowed down with guns. There is no excuse. I mean, I, I want to look at it and go, I'm having a hard time forgiving these people. And I wasn't there. I can't fathom what Corey Ten Boom went through. I can't fathom what some of you have been through. I can't do it. But I also know that God understands and he can put forgiveness in us. He, it's, it's a word. And, and here's what I want to tell you. If you are at the point today where you'd like to walk out of here angry with me, I want you to do something before you do that. I want you to ask God if he'd be willing to give you the ability to forgive. Here's my question. If God helped you, would you be willing? That's a different question than can you do it. You can be as honest as can be and look at me and say it can't be done. I'll never forget. I was sharing this message in a camp recently. And a woman came to the front after the service was over. And I had just sat down in the front pew. I was exhausted. And I sat down in the front pew. And she came and sat down beside me. And she told me this incredible story. That her son went to his best friend's house. And his best friend's brother got out drugs and gave them. And the drugs were laced with something. And he overdosed. <clears throat> and was dying. And they went and got the parent, his, not the boy that was dying, but the parents of the household. And the parents of the household set in, into motion a plan to cover it up and make sure their kids would not be accused. And in the meantime, the son died. They killed this boy to protect their own. And she sat beside me and asked me how she was supposed to forgive them. 
took my son from me. And I had to ask her the same question that I've asked you this morning. I'm not asking you if you can forgive them. I'm asking you if Jesus gave you the ability, would you? Because if you're saying I won't, that's different than I can. There's a whole lot of things in this life that I cannot do, but with God's strength, I can do all things. One more. Not only are people who won't forgive wicked, people who don't forgive are tortured. Listen to this. And his master, moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he could pay all that was owed him. And my father will do the same, my heavenly father will do the same to you as each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. Let me just clarify this. People who refuse to forgive are tortured. But I want to clarify something. Don't misunderstand this passage. God is not the torturer. God is not the torturer. Satan is the torturer. And God is saying, I can't protect you if you're not willing. I can't cover you if you're not forgiving. If you can't, if you won't let me do through you what needs done, I can't protect you. And I'm telling you right now, it is an absolute undeniable fact that people who refuse and will not, who don't say I cannot, who say I will not, I, I and I have heard it multiple times, I will never forgive. Those are tortured. And that, my friends, is a tragedy. I'll end with this. I was pastoring a church. And some things went south that hurt a lot. Some things were said and done that hurt me deeply. In the end, I resigned that church and left. <clears throat> Remember some months later, we were in another situation, another church situation, and don't, don't get offended by this, all you people at home on the camera, um, but I was in, using the restroom and reading the Reader's Digest, and I read an article called Masculine, uh, something about masculine depression, and they gave all these signs of depression. And uh, I remember reading that article, and I'm going, yeah, I got that, but, I got that, but, you know, don't do yeah, but. Yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. Okay. I got done, finished the paperwork, got all, came out. My precious wife is here. You know what makes her precious? She always tells me the truth. I said, do you think I'm depressed? What did you say, sweetie? Something like, you just not figuring that out? Oh, great. And I remember talking to my district superintendent at the time, and he said, 
I want you. I, I just told him, I said, listen, I didn't realize I'm damaged goods. I've got a problem. And he goes, here's a counselor. It's paid for. Go see him. So I go see this counselor. Now, real men don't do that, right? That was a joke. Don't. I was, we got to work on this laughter thing here a little bit. So, so I, I go to this counselor and this, this guy lets me spill my guts and I tell him this story about how mistreated I was and how terrible it was. And, and he says, he, he ends it like this. He says, you were really hurt by these people, weren't you? I said, yeah, I really was. He goes, you'd like them to come tell you how sorry they were, wouldn't you? I said, that'd be really nice. He says, I got bad news for you. They're never coming. Well, I thought you were here to help me get better, not worse. I'm like, okay. I remember him walking me through some steps to forgive. But a while later, a while later, I got a call. and I, I, Some of the details of the story get a little confused for me because I'm not real good at remembering the past. But a call came. Somebody in that church had passed, and they asked me to participate in the funeral. And, and I went there. I didn't want to go, but my wife told me I had to go. I didn't want to go. <laughs> and I, so I went, we went. And, and I remember just before the service, I went back to the back to the kitchen to get a drink of water. And I made this mistake of forgetting that the person who had done the most damage to me was also the person who put on the funeral lunch. And, and I walked into that room and I got a drink of water and as I'm ready to leave, she walked in the room. And I thought, oh no. I'm gonna tell you in that moment, I, 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 I felt like Corey Tenman, I froze. And it won't always happen this way, but I know that I had forgiven her. I knew I had, but I, it won't, don't, don't expect it's always going to happen this way. But that woman walked in the room and she looked at me. And she said, Pastor, I love you. Can you ever forgive me for how I treated you? And we embraced. And I was so full of love for her. I preached revivals in that church afterwards and she would treat me like her own son. She make pie for me and all kinds of stuff. Maybe she was trying to build me. <laughs> uh, and forgiveness is amazing when God does it. Amen. Let's just bow our heads. Maybe you're here today and you're saying, I have a pain in my life. It's been there a long time. When I began this sermon, you already knew the name. You already knew the group. You already remember the circumstance. In fact, you were a little distracted because you were reliving some of it, even as I spoke. And you need to forgive. With nobody looking around, if that's you today, and you just want to slip up your hand and say, I want you to pray for me. I'm just acknowledging I'm hurt, and I need to forgive. I'll pray for you. That's what I want from you. Anyone like that, you just say, that's me this morning. There's a hurt morning. God bless you. Yes. Amen. Let me pray you in. Anybody else? Lord Jesus, 
I am so thankful that you not only require us to forgive, you don't make it optional, so we can't say, well, I'll just live with that and move on. It's not acceptable. I love it that you require that because you also give us the grace to do. The will of God will never lead you where he won't provide the resources to do what he's asked. And so this day, one's raised a hand. Others may be struggling. Maybe aren't ready to even raise the hand. But I pray, Father, that they will say, Father, please give me the grace. Please put the supernatural will to forgive within me. That I can know freedom in my walk with Jesus. That I can ask with a clean conscience and a clear heart for anything in prayer because I hold no bitterness and no unforgiveness. May I have a wisdom in how I forgive and understanding. And I pray you will work a miracle in Jesus' name. Amen. I would challenge you this morning if in that process, and as I sat with that lady in that camp and she talked about her son's death, I would challenge you to seek out spiritual counsel. I'm not sure a secular counselor is going to give you the help you need because it's supernatural work. Talk with your pastor or a Christian friend, a brother or sister who knows Jesus well that would pray it through with you. Don't let it continue to fester. I love you guys. I look forward to seeing you next week. We'll have a good time. I don't know what we'll talk about. We'll try to do something nice. What do you think? Something fun? Yeah. <laughs> All right. God bless you. Anything else we do before we go home? All right. You're dismissed. God bless you.